Anyone who's ever followed a recipe before knows that you have to follow each and every step precisely. I remember becoming acutely aware of this fact when I was trying to learn how to make angel food cake, because it was a series of steps and events that eventually I finally figured out. I remember the first time wondering why in the world one would separate out the yolks from the egg whites, and I found out very quickly, because it makes the cake quite dense if you don't take the yolks out. And so that was the first attempt. The second time I learned that you do have to keep the sugar separate from the rest of everything else while it's whipping, and put it in at the very last second. So that was the second attempt. The third attempt, I thought I had gotten it right. Because I had gotten to the very end, I had baked it, it looked like it had risen the way it was supposed to, I took it out of the oven and set it to the side. Now, anyone who's baked an angel food cake before knows I just made a critical mistake. Because you have to flip it upside down and then let it cool that way, otherwise the cake collapses, and then you've ruined it at the very end. So it took four tries to get it right, is what I'm saying. But nonetheless, we know that this is a half-baked attempt. It was trying to figure out how many steps I had to follow to get the end result. And it was, in fact, every last one of them. And whenever it comes to anything in life, we don't like to do it halfway. We don't like to have a half-baked attempt, but we know that that is synonymous with failure so often. We like to go all the way through and see things succeed. But whenever it comes to faith, do we understand exactly the steps that are being asked of us? Do we see the ways that our Lord is asking us to continue to live out our faith and to live it out well, and what exactly that means? Do we see the recipe? The first reading is rather a strange one because it comes from the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus, it comes in an interesting time in the life of Israel and the Israelite nation because it starts to speak to them in a moment where they need more instruction. They need, need law and regulation. They've just been freed from captivity to Egypt, and now they're looking for ways to be governed and to be led effectively. And so the Lord's giving them all these laws, all these rules, and all these regulations. And we can see one in particular today that is for their safekeeping, and that is the law and regulation according or for leprosy. And when it comes to leprosy, we're told that the person with a spot or a blemish or a pestle is supposed to appear before the priest, and the priest is to make a determination, is this leprosy or is it not? If he deems that it is, he declares this person unclean, and then they are to rend their garments. They are to be dressed a certain way. They are to go outside the community and to begin to shout, unclean, unclean, and dwell outside of the entire community and have their dwellings set apart. And this was for a very deliberate reason, because this was so highly contagious that it would spread throughout the entire community like wildfire if they didn't take steps to prevent it. But nonetheless, we see what happens. The leprosy ultimately divides one from the community. And we've all been in points when we feel ostracized or set apart, but we can really imagine what that was like, that even though they had undergone this affliction, even though it happened to them, they wouldn't have wanted to be set apart, and yet they were, by that law and regulation, recognizing that they were not well, that they were infirm. And so that responsorial psalm, it actually speaks very well to a sentiment that may have been there in their hearts whenever they were set apart for this purpose. I turn to you, Lord, in times of trouble, and you fill me with the joy of salvation. That even in the midst of this separation, even in the midst of this illness and this plight, the Lord was still there, and he was trying to offer them some joy and some hope that he was still accompanying them along the way. 
We move on to the second reading, which is taken from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. And as we've continued on, we know that St. Paul has been bouncing around a few different ideas, but we get to the one this weekend. And he says, whether you eat or drink, do everything for the glory of God. And it's interesting because we have to imagine the way that the church in Corinth would have received this. Because eating and drinking seems like something that's just commonplace. It's not all that special. It's not something that we could really do for the glory of God. And yet St. Paul is actually speaking and trying to get them to think. Because he's telling them, if you're doing the inconsequential things, those small little things, and you're doing that for the glory of God, then everything else is likely going to fall into place. That not only eating and drinking is going to be for the glory of God, but every step and everything that you do will all be aimed at God's glory. And so he tells them to do this, and even to set aside all those things that are self-seeking, the things that would get in the ways of the Jew Jews coming into communion with the church, or even cause scandal within the church, to set aside that self-seeking, that own self-interest, that own self-glorification, and really seek after the Lord instead. But then this final encouragement that they receive is to continue to be imitators of St. Paul as he is an imitator of Christ. He's telling them not to imitate him because he's a good person or because he's got it all figured out. But rather what he's doing is he's saying, imitate me because I'm imitating Christ and because Christ shows us how to be in relationship with God the Father. Indeed, that's powerful, but it tells us something important about the way St. Paul's asking, or what he's asking for. That it's not just for the own person or for that one disciple to do for their own glory or whatever they might want, or for their own self-satisfaction, but to rather always aim towards the glory of God. And then finally we move into the gospel. This is one of those ones that's kind of interesting because of what happens in the course of the gospel. Because we hear about this leper and he came to Jesus. Right here this should get us thinking because this leper knows very well that he's supposed to stay away from everyone else. So he's taking a risk. He has the audacity to approach Jesus. But we very quickly understand why. Because there's no one else that has the power to cure this affliction. But in his mind, the leper knows very well that Jesus has that ability. But he has to be vulnerable too. Because he realizes that as he approaches Jesus, Jesus could see him as unclean and instantly start running away. But he doesn't. And because of that, the leper is offered an opportunity, and it's an opportunity of faith. And indeed, he seizes that, and he says, if you say, if you will it, I can be made clean. And it's a beautiful testament of faith that he gives over. And Jesus, he hears this, and he instantly has pity, because he knows the Levitical law very well. He knows what the affliction is that this leper is undergoing. Not just this visible blemish, but the fact that he has been ostracized and cut off from the entire community at that time. And so he has pity, he has compassion, he has mercy on this leper, and he says, I do will it, be made clean. And we're told by Mark that immediately he is made clean. But then Jesus warns him not to go and to make this known. And this is interesting because if you go back to the Greek, it's not just warning. It's very sternly instructing that Jesus got very strict with him in this moment. Do not tell anyone else. And he continues on and he elaborates on what this means. Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer what is prescribed. That will be proof for them. Jesus has two instructions. Don't tell anyone else and simply offer to the priest and go show yourselves to them so that you can be declared clean. But the leper doesn't quite do that. 
The leper instead turns away, and he starts to publicize the entire matter. And this word publicize is important, because it's not just that he's telling for the glory of God, but publicizing tells us something different. Because this tells us that he's just wanting to make it known, that he's wanting to appear as a phenomenon, one that was there, who had leprosy and was cured, that he's not all that concerned about what Jesus is going to get from this. And notice the end result that the leper was once the one that was ostracized who had to dwell outside the entire community. At the end of this gospel, Jesus is the one who has to dwell outside the entire community, that he is the one that's ostracized because he can't open, enter into any town openly. And it's interesting because we think that the leper is like, well, he just got a little excited. Maybe that's why he didn't exactly obey what the Lord was saying. But Jesus knows that there's more than leprosy that this man is struggling with. It's his own pride. It's his own ego. It's the fact that he wants to glorify himself. He wants to be a part of the community. He just wants to fit in. He doesn't really care about his relationship with Jesus. Because if he did, he would have followed every instruction. But he didn't. He disobeyed not just once, but twice. Don't tell anyone. He immediately go tells, goes and tells everyone, and in a way to publicize the whole matter so that he receives the glory. And then further, Jesus tells him, go show yourself to the priest. Go deepen your relationship with God. Do what you're supposed to do. Do what the law requires. The man couldn't be bothered. He's too busy trying to get his own glory. And it's striking. Because this, oftentimes we hear about it as a sort of success story, and it is in some way. Like Jesus didn't apologize for what he did later, that he still was able to heal that man. But that wasn't really the end of the story, was it? Because at the end, we see a failure of faith. We see disobedience. We see the leper and who has been cleansed. Try to, he really starts to get things wrong. But what does that mean for us? Because really, if you think about it, this leper went home half-baked. What does it mean for us, though? Well, first, it should encourage us to realize that we, too, are a people in need of healing, much like that leper was. Now, certainly, we're not struggling with leprosy or any sort of blemish or any sort of pestilence. Perhaps our complexion is very much near perfect. But that's not what we need healing from. Because our blight, our blemish, our leprosy of this day is our sinfulness. It's the way that we break with the community. It's the way that we break away from God and the way that we break away from our neighbor. It's the way that we do those things that we were instructed not to do. It's the way that we don't do the things that we were supposed to do. It's the ways that we sin. We cause fracture. We cause division. We ostracize ourselves from the entire community. Much like the book of Leviticus was instructing for those who suffered leprosy, that we actually do that ourselves. It isn't just something that happens to us, but we're the ones that start to set ourselves apart. And so, in fact, we need to be aware of that, but also we need to be aware of the ways that we grieve our Lord, the ways that we do need healing, the ways that that blight or that blemish enters in. Sometimes it's in the small little things, the things that we say in our minds, well, Jesus wouldn't really care about that. Those things he does care about. Because, in fact, he doesn't say it has to be a great big blemish. He says all blemishes, that he is able to cure whatever this leper has holding him back. And so it's not just that those small things are inconsequential, but everything should be done for the glory of God. And St. Paul reminds us, even eating or drinking, that we can do those in such a way as to glorify God. So he does care about the small things. But then there's on the other side, the great big things, the things that we would really like to hide away from the Lord because we feel like he can't possibly forgive us for what we've done. 
But Jesus, in fact, wants to forgive those things. The, the leper, the greatest thing that seemed to be holding him back that day, Jesus forgave him anyway. The leper had the audacity to approach, even though it seemed uncurable. And he was, he was cured. He was given the reward of faith. And that's a powerful and profound moment because we should realize no matter where our sinfulness and weakness falls, that the Lord can't forgive it. But then that brings us to the second point. Do we have the ability to approach Jesus and to ask for healing? Because Jesus does want to heal us. And that's important because we realize that we need to traverse the threshold of the door to the confessional. That no matter how big or small and no matter how long it's been or how short it's been, that every single one of us have, should have the boldness on the audacity to approach the Lord and ask for forgiveness. Because we see He pities us. He has mercy on us. He has compassion. And He wants to forgive us all of our sins and to bring us back into the community again. Much like that He did with that leper. And we should realize that. And Jesus also gives us the reality of the way that we need confession. Because he doesn't say, just come to me, I'll heal it and go your way. What does he say? Go show yourself to the priest. It's not enough to just receive healing directly from Jesus. But he says, go show yourself to the priest. Go to the sacrament of reconciliation so that you can truly experience mercy and healing. And you can be marked clean. You can be given the words of absolution and you can know with 100% certitude that every last one of your sins have been forgiven. So go to confession. And there's another proof that the sacrament of confession is very real and very needed. And none of us are an exception. Every single one of us, myself included, need it. But then we get to the third thing, and perhaps the most difficult. Because the leper, he got some things right. That he was there and he kind of went through. But then eventually he stumbled and fell. And ultimately that day he did not follow the Lord. He didn't choose rightly. And he didn't do something that was called the virtue of religion. We think about religion and we often think about it as a choice or maybe something of an option, but that's not really what religion is. Religion as a virtue is right worship that is ordered directly to God. That is what we are due to God. That is what we owe to Him as His Christian faithful and as His sons and daughters. And this might seem like obligation, and in some way it is. But we have to realize that if we're dealing with transaction, we don't understand the full depth of what our Lord gives us. And sometimes we think, well, I've given him enough. But it's not enough. That we can't just continue to say, I've given him kind of the bare minimum and that's great. But that's not what the Lord is asking for. He's asking for the virtue of religion. He's asking for each and every one of us to give him his due. But what does that look like? Well, first we can address what we do with mass attendance, because sometimes we can treat it as optional. Sometimes we can treat it as an area of convenience. If I get to it, whenever I feel like it, or we might just say that if I'm not tired in the morning or if I don't have anything the night before, if there are not sports obligations that I have to get to, then I'll do it. But if we treat it of convenience, it, be, it breeds complacency. Because if we feel like it's just something that I do when I feel good, when I feel like it, when I want to, all of a sudden, we're going to find ourselves renouncing Mass when we shouldn't. Because Mass is the bare minimum. It's what we should do. It's what we have to do as our worship towards our Lord and our God. It is what we, He deserves. And woe to us if we hold that back. And that, in fact, is what we should realize, because it's not just about what is in it for us. Because if we live life that way, boy, are we in a terrible way. 
because it's not just about what benefits me, what benefits number one, but it's also about glorifying God. Why is St. Paul saying, do everything for the glory of God? Because he's aware the human condition is oftentimes because we, get, we struggle, because we want to glorify number one. We want to look after ourselves. We want to do what's convenient, what feels good, what we feel like should be done. But oftentimes that kind of flies in the face of what the Lord is asking. And so even with mass attendance, it's not convenience. It's not luxury. It's what we have to do each and every week, each and every holiday. It's what we should do when we get the opportunity. It's not just something that we do when we get to it, because we never will. And I realize that I'm preaching to the choir in some respect. But we have to realize that our own disposition, the way that we approach the Mass, reflects towards others. And they will approach it in a lesser degree than we do. And we have to have devotion, we have to have piety, and we have to have reverence when we approach the Mass and say it's something that is necessary for living out Christian life. It's part of religion. It's part of giving to God what is His due. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. And we have to realize that. But then also we need to preach that message because there are many people who should be here today that aren't. There are many people who had other obligations that they thought more necessary, other sports, other opportunities, or maybe they were just too tired this morning. But we need to speak the words of truth to them. We need to remind them that the Lord desires this. He desires this deepening and more intimate relationship with them. And this is part of that. And even that healing process, that leper still came to the Lord at that first moment, even though he struggled after that. But we have to preach that message to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. Because oftentimes religion is treated as a convenience, as a luxury. No, it's a necessity. It should never be anything else. And we should never have an excuse for missing Mass. We should never have anything outside of a significant illness that keeps us away from the Lord. Because in the reality, Yes, we do get something from Mass, but it's not just about that. It's about what we owe back to the Lord for all that He's done for us. Even the very fact that we're living and breathing right now, we owe that to the Lord. But then we can also look around at our life of faith. How often am I receiving the sacrament of reconciliation? Am I receiving the Lord's healing and His mercy and giving to Him His sins, the, the, the sins that are mine, giving them over to Him so that He can obliterate them and restore me to right religion and right faith? Am I doing that? Am I following what the church has prescribed for me? What are the precepts? What are the obligations? What are the opportunities that the church is providing to me? Am I following those things? Or maybe even if we look at scriptures or look at our daily life of prayer, are we continuing to follow as faithfully as we can when we need to pray or when we need to read scripture? Because many times we just do it whenever we're on the down and out, whenever we feel like we are lost and we just don't know what to do. We've run out of options. But it's not just then. The Lord wants to hear from us when things are going well, when things are in between, whenever we're kind of going through the day-to-day -day of life, that the Lord wants to hear from us each and every day. And it's not just because it's good for us, but it's because what, it's what the Lord desires. It's part of what He's due. It's part of the virtue of right religion. And this is a profound moment of opportunity because this Wednesday we are entering into the sacred season of Lent. And it's a moment where we enter into the three main pillars of Lent, fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. And notice, these things, we could think of them as kind of like, oh, this makes me feel good. That's not what this is about. 
the season of Lent is about returning to the Lord. It's about praying because that is what is due. Almsgiving to support the church and to support it not just in money, though that is important, but also in volunteering. But then there's also fasting, those ways that we recognize and reflect on our need for the Lord, even as we're hungering and thirsting, that even that should glorify God. And so this is a moment for each of us to pray about and consider, where is my faith life half-baked? Where is the Lord asking me to go deeper, to be more intimate with him, to give to him what is his due? And where is he asking me to do that with the right disposition, with a joyful demeanor and not reluctance? Where is he asking me to enter into that right religion, to giving to him what is his due, but also to experience that healing in a new and profound way, even during these 40 days and 40 nights of Lent? Because many times we can treat it much like I did that angel food cake, seeing how much was the bare minimum, how much I could do and get the right result. And I eventually figured out that I had to do each and everything perfectly to get through and get the right, the right desire or the right result and that dessert that was what I was searching for. And indeed, if we're to go through this life and go through it well, we need to realize that we can't just go through and receive healing or kind of exact things from the Lord or treat him like a vending machine and then get the end result. Because ultimately, that will fail in time. Rather, what we need to do whenever we approach our Lord and approach our God, we shouldn't follow the steps halfway, but rather we need to follow each and every step and to return to the Lord so that indeed we can be made whole, we can be made pure, but indeed we can return to the Lord with our entire heart. Whenever we approach our religion, whenever we approach our faith, let's not stop halfway through. Let's not stop with something that is half-baked.